The kingdom of God works according to delayed gratification. And it's not gratification to your flesh, it's to your spirit. The enemy will always appeal to your flesh and your soul, and the God of heaven will appeal to your spirit. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That's what God says. Not because He doesn't want to draw near to you. It's because He's available. But the engagement of His presence is up to your willingness to engage Him. Amen? And that's a daily thing. As we were, as we were going through the sessions yesterday at the, at the women's conference, the, there was such great teaching, such great advice, such powerful things that were imparted. And the one thing that kept coming up in my heart was, yes, absolutely, if they are able to keep doing it. Dat is een mooi Afrikaanse woord, volhard, volharding. If we are able to consistently, daily, do what is necessary, we will eventually start seeing the change. You must know that the enemy, the devil, his devices, his plans, his options that he gives you, will always come with instant gratification and with a counterfeit of real value that will leave you after you did it feeling empty. But the initial instant gratification makes you want to do it because it's instant gratification. The kingdom of God works according to delayed gratification. And it's not gratification to your flesh. To your spirit. The enemy will always appeal to your flesh and your soul, and the and the God of heaven will appeal to your spirit. And that's why some people go, you know, yeah, you talk about this God that He's all powerful and whatever, but you know, look at what these people can do, and look at what they have access to. And you know, when I see how the how the people that are in witchcraft and all these things are they are they've got power and they're doing things, and yeah, but it's all they're all slaves to the enemy. And there might be a season or a time where they feel like, hey, I'm you know, powerful, I'm doing this, but it's going to end in death, eternal death. And we have to decide as children of God, oh, are we going to be the ones who, even if it takes, or however long it takes to step into the presence of God and to receive what He has for me, will I do that? Because we've, we have shared, I'm, just so you know, I'm on sermon number 142. We are at our 142nd service today. For 141 times, the Word of God has been preached in this church and obviously in millions of other churches around the world. The truth is available. 
It's being preached. It's being shared straight from the Word of God. It was shared yesterday. The question is, will you take it? Will you apply it? And will you then apply it again? And then apply it again? And then apply it again? And then apply it again? You see, that's the real test of a Christian. Is the consistency that comes from a real relationship with God. Every time you wonder how your relationship with God should work, just look at how a healthy marriage should work. It will always give you a very good clue. If, if my marriage or your marriage was based upon only instant gratification all the time and always something exciting happening every day to keep you interested, your marriage won't last. But if you make the choice daily to love, sacrificially, unconditionally, and servant-heartedly, you will have a great marriage that lasts until you die. Amen? That's the difference. And that's the same with God. He wants all of you, all the time. How many of you serve God a little bit, some of the time? But you expect Him to bring all of Him. When you do that, can we be honest? God, I need you. I really need you right now. I've, God's like, I've been here. I've been waiting for you. Where have you been? Now I've been, you know, yeah. Or we make our plans, write out the business plan, write out this plan, that plan, whatever. Then when we're done, we bring it before him and say, Lord, please bless this. And then you might get the thing, I never told you to do that. Why did you waste a month on that? I never told you to do that. You're like, but, mm. it's a bit of a conundrum. Now, I know there are things that if you know you're moving with what God has told you to do and this is part of it, then that's great. But sometimes we tackle things and we, 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 we want the instant gratification. And we want to slap, you know, we want to slap some Jesus on something once we've done what we want to do. All of that comes back to a heart of worship. Comes back to a heart that is, is it really humble before God? Ready to serve in holy fear of a holy God every day, all day? Or am I just doing it, you know, sometimes? when I feel like it. We cannot live a Christian life according to our feelings. We have to live it the same way in a marriage. You live it from a place of true love for that person. It makes you lay down everything. Amen? <laughs> very quiet today. It was very loud when they got into the church. But now it's very quiet. All right. Some of you, I think they're nervous because it's 10 past 11 already and I haven't started preaching. So I think it's just a sense of, I get the boat in the wind and I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, the good news is that today's message is actually shorter than usual. So, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> we have an evangelist in the house. I can ask him to come do a 20 minute, always ready, in and out of season. Um, all right, let us pray as we enter the Word of God. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that we are blessed to be here, 
that we get to spend time in your presence through worship and your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come, that you will lead us, guide us in all truth, that you will bless us as we spend time in your presence. I pray that in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of you can already tell me what series we are busy with. Series in Romans called One Gospel, One Church. And we have had, I think, 12 or 13 topics already. And God has really been teaching us such powerful things through this letter of Paul to the Roman church. Today's message is called One Judgment. One Judgment. (laughs) Uh, It's interesting because my wife is referring to standing before the throne of God. And we're going to talk about that today. But it's going to be in a context that might seem surprising to you. Um, But I think for each person who has uttered these words before, don't judge me. Anyone here? Don't judge me. Ever said that? I think this might become one of your favorite messages. I think you will like this one. Or you may realize that experiencing what you think is judgment from people is way less intense than the coming judgment of a holy God. We're going to look at the word judge and uh, the actual original meaning of the word judge, as it is in the Bible, the Greek term krima, which sounds like some kind of beauty product, (laughs) but it's not. It means a decision resulting from investigation. When we hear judgment, we think very negative. We think someone is condemning us. Most of you probably think that. But when Paul uses this word krima, he doesn't mean, you know, I'm slamming the gavel on you and I'm you know, condemning what you're doing. It's more a thing of I'm looking at evidence and I'm checking it out and then I'm coming to a conclusion and making a decision. That is what judgment actually means. And there are three, well, according to what I'm thinking for this message, there are three types of judgments among people. All right, so the one type is each of us every day make judgment calls. So I decide something, I decide to do something or to make one thing more important than another thing based on my own belief or conviction. In other words, you, some of you believe it's okay to eat certain things, others believe it's not okay to eat certain things. Some believe to, some days are more important than other days. Some rituals or cultural man-made things are very important and others don't deem it as important. And you, you made this judgment call on what's important to you by looking at yourself and what you believe and your things around you and you, you decided that this is what I want to do. And I looked at what I knew and what I, what I knew at the time and the desired outcome that I wanted and I made a decision And what most of us hopefully do after a decision is we take action. Otherwise, the decision doesn't mean much. So 
I make judgment that shapes my life and how I do things. And you will know this because how many of you know the, those of you who have families of your own now, the home that you grew up in and the home that you have now, they differ in the way you do things, right? And a lot of the things that you don't do in your house now is because of what you experienced in your parents' house. <laughs> Would you agree? All right. The other type of judgment is when I judge someone else for doing something, for not doing something, and even if they think it's important, I judge that, no, it's not that important. Or if they take something very seriously that's important to them, I decide, no, it's not that serious, and I find it kind of silly that they think that's serious. But the irony is that they took exactly the same course that you did to make your judgment call on what's important to you. They just came to a different conclusion. So now you made a judgment call and this is how you want to do something. They made a judgment call, that's how they want to do something, and now you judge them. But what you don't know is that the third type of judgment is them judging you. And now we're all judging one another. I decided to do this based on my convictions and what I know. You decided to do that based on your convictions. I look at your decision and your actions and I judge your beliefs. I judge your convictions and how you got there. And now we're playing the judge game. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? All of these judgments are made based on the information we each had at the time. And the way you interpret that information. And the way in which you looked at that information through the veil of your wounds and your past experiences. And also through the veil of whatever emotional, mental or spiritual maturity you had or dare I say lacked. How many of you have looked at your past decisions and thought, what was I thinking? That's probably the fourth type of judgment where you judge yourself. <laughs> going, looking back and going, what even? How many of you have looked at high school photos or university photos, looking at your fashion choice, your hair style, especially the ladies? I know that I don't want to look at my matric photo, my matric uh, farewell photo. I looked, I looked like a deer in headlights with a... And someone slapped something weird on my head. That's my hair. It was horrible. When you go look at that, I thought, at the time, I thought I looked amazing. But then later you look back and go, what was I thinking? <laughs> and that's the thing about judgment. It is subjective. Subjective. Now, there's one judgment that we will have that is God's judgment. The Bible refers to it as the white throne judgment. And we will all stand before him on that day. And you will stand alone. You will not be able to point fingers. You will not be able to explain away or justify. You will stand there with everything that you have done. Everything that you have not done. Everything that you decided based on the things that you knew at the time. And God's consuming fire will test 
the works of your life. That's what the Bible teaches. And it says, whatever is gold, whatever is silver, whatever is wood, whatever is hay, it's all going to be tested by the fire. So let us ask the question, what will God's judgment of my life look like based on him making a decision about my eternal destiny that resulted from him doing an investigation of my life and coming to a conclusion? Did you follow that question? So in the same way that each of us make judgment calls on what's important and what's not important and what I will do with my life or not do with my life, I want you to imagine that God does the same in when he judges you. Can you imagine that? Does it feel comfortable? Challenging. Most of you don't want to think about it. I, I kind of get that feeling. Do you understand? Did, did, did that point land? Did you? Okay. I'm going to remind you again. Paul is addressing a divided church. Jews and Gentiles. They had differences and probably quite a bit of fights about what to eat, what not to eat, and what days to celebrate, and what days are holy. They had fights about this. In Rome at the time, the Jews were still keeping the Saturday as holy as their Shabbat. But the Gentiles had a challenge because the Romans didn't care about Shabbat. They had a different calendar, different weekday. And from the, the, what I could find out, one of the challenges they practically had is that the Gentiles couldn't keep the Sabbath on a Saturday because they had to work according to the Roman system. So one of the things that was physically happening, that they were at loggerheads about this because the Jews said to the Gentiles, well, you don't come to, to the synagogue or to the temple on a Saturday, and that's wrong. And the Gentiles are like, it doesn't really matter when we go. We just want to serve God. We just want to praise Him. And so they had these issues. And after Paul has discussed so many important things about our faith in Jesus that we've read up until now, chapter 1 to 13, he now takes on things that seem trivial but are important for the church that he's writing to. He's talking about food and he's talking about days as we enter into chapter 14. He's talking about things that caused division. And he calls on the church as a whole, Jews and Gentiles, to humble themselves, to keep in mind those who are less mature in faith, and to submit to one another in the journey. And once again, we need to read this as a church today and go, what might be the things that are similar to food and days that might cause division between us? And we need to maybe go, let me humble myself. Let me put this before the Lord. Is this that I have decided is so important, really more important than unity in the church? Is this that I've decided from my conviction, from my looking at what I know now, looking at this situation, is this really more important than? Does that make sense? All right, so let's jump into Romans 14 from verse 1. In this first part, he's going to talk about food. So last week, we spoke about one authority, 
we worked through chapter 13. We looked at government and how we should handle that and all that stuff. So that was quite a, a big chunk of meat. And then now Paul is shifting gears uh, and talking about food. So he says, except other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. In the New King James, it says, don't argue over doubtful things. He goes on, he says, for instance, one person believes, note the word believe, he believes it's all right to eat anything. But other, another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. I love what the New King James says because I kind of feel the same way. It says, but he who is weak eats vegetables. <laughs> That's for all the vegetarians and the vegans. Those who are weak in faith, those who are weak eat vegetables. The Bible is not your friend. If you... <laughs> All right, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm just reading what the Bible says. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down, must not judge negatively, must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Don't judge me. See, that's why I said this is your favorite scripture. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Who's he talking about? See the context. For God has accepted them. The person you're looking at who you think has made a wrong judgment call. God has accepted that person. And then it says, who are you to condemn someone else's servants? That other person is God's servant. And if you judge that person for what they believe about food, you are judging God's servant. Can you see that? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. So leave it to God to decide. And now, but he goes on with an encouragement. He says, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. The New King James says, God is able to make that person stand. He's talking about those who are weak in the faith. In other words, they are probably new believers. They have come to the faith recently. They live in a culture or they come from a culture where certain things are done and certain things are not done. And those who have spent time with God in his word have experienced what Paul has already spoken about, the liberty that is in the spirit of God. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. They are walking in this liberty. They're like, God made all food, so all food is fine. But this new believer comes in and he looks at the more mature believers and they're like, these people are crazy. They're just eating whatever they want. And what's that doing? It's causing a division. And it makes that person want to maybe not be there or it causes them to sin because they are judging the rest. But what God is saying here through Paul is that we are not to condemn others for believing things about food. Now, we have to be very specific because you can take a line from this 
Those who, it says, um, it's talking about what they believe. So you, if you take this verse out of context, you can paint it in a way and it says, hey, you can believe whatever you want. That's not what the word says. If, that's why it's important to read the context and to read the whole letter. Because we know up until now, Paul has made it very clear what, which way is acceptable to God and which way is not acceptable to God. So now to take a verse out of context and say, hey, you can believe whatever you believe and I'm not allowed to judge you. That would be abusing the word of God for your own gain. He specifically talks about food. Can you, can you hear that? And he specifically talks, what he is actually saying is that how can you take something like food and make it so important that you lose a brother? How can you? Can you see that? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall in with the Lord's help. They will stand and receive his approval. So I see that when I read that, I see God is busy with each person for where they are at. He is busy with that person. They may not see that they are free to eat what they want, but that's okay for now. But God is walking a road with them. And some of us need to realize that the guy next to me, the woman across from me, might be going through something that, the, that God is working out in them. And my patience might be thin, and I might say something or do something or make them feel bad because I've maybe reached a level of security and I know I'm guilty of this sometimes. I just tell people, get over it. And I know it's not loving. It's, not, it's wrong. Because some, I don't know what you might be going through. I don't know where God is with you on a certain subject. But with, with the knowledge that you had at the time and with the cultural whatever you have at the time, you made a decision, I will not eat that. And God's like, I don't care about what you eat. I care about your soul. Amen? Then he talks about days. He says, in the same way. So the thought was now about food, which was an example. Now he says, in the same way, some think one day is more, more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Then he goes to worshiping the Lord. He says, those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. So they've got a conviction. They have a belief about worshiping God on a certain day. Paul is saying, let them do it because it's about Jesus. They are focusing on the right thing. It's just on a different day that you would choose. Then he comes back to food. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. Now we start seeing what is the golden thread here. Is it unto the Lord? Is it for His glory? If your conviction and belief comes from a pure place, which is to glorify God, Paul is saying, leave that guy alone. He's convinced, she's convinced that by not eating something, she's glorifying God. Who are you to judge God's servant for where they are at? Can we see that? Does that make sense? 
And, and here, in another letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he speaks about food offered to idols, which he also gets into in quite some detail. You can go and read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 8. But in, in essence, he says to them, food offered to idols is not an issue for a mature believer because we know that idols are nothing and God is all-powerful. But if by eating something, if my eating something that will make a weaker brother stumble, I am sinning because I'm not loving. Do you see that? So what I see in that is this powerful truth that God is all powerful. And if I'm a mature believer, I know that even if someone bride a steak and they offered it up to whatever God, if I eat it, I will not be touched. I will not be changed because I know who I am in Christ. And my God, as I pray for that food, it is made holy. Amen? That's what the word says. But he says that if you know that your brother across from you doesn't have the same conviction, and he knows that what you're about to eat, it was served up to idols, what's going to happen? There's going to be eruptions. There's going to be judgment from both sides. And he says to avoid that. Then he goes on from food and days. He now talks about how it's all for the Lord. And he goes into the subject of judgment and condemnation. He says, for. Remember how important it is when a sentence starts with the word for. So in other words, I have to look at everything he said up until now. He's talked about um, not judging others for they are God's servants and about what they eat or what days they honor because they do it for him. So don't do that. And now he says, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord both of the living and of the dead. Which, which uh, scripture does that bring to mind for you? For me, it brings the one to mind that says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do you know that scripture? Do you know that as a Christian, we should be so confident in who we are in Christ that if someone comes and says, I'm gonna kill you if you don't um, say you don't believe in Jesus and say, please shoot me. Because when you do, I'll be in heaven. To die is gain. The only reason I would not want to go right now is because I've got a wife and kids and I've got a, God's got a plan for my life. But we need to be so convinced that to live is Christ. I will be Christ here on earth while I'm here. To die here means it's gain because I go to heaven. Do we really have that conviction? He goes on. He says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? What's he doing? He is comparing the massive awesomeness of God, the fact that we are made to honor him, the fact that he owns life, he owns death, and everything we do in between belongs to him. He's saying that food and days are not that big a deal. Focus on what really matters. Can you see that? Anyone, amen or something, that'll be great. Okay, it's very quiet in the house today. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Let's just ask a quick question. If I look down on someone in church, is it loving or unloving? See, that was easy. So ask, ask yourself cons, cons, constantly, 
the way I'm acting and thinking about my brother in Christ right now, is it loving or unloving? And just be really honest with yourself. So then he says something very important. Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Every tongue will confess, every knee will bow that Jesus is Lord. Yes, each of us will give a personal account. Everyone says personal account to God. So because there's a white throne judgment seat with Jesus on the throne who will judge you personally one day, therefore, so let's stop condemning each other. And then he's got a very important next word, decide. And another important word, instead. So he says, don't do this, rather do this. Decide to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Because you're going to stand before Jesus one day and your life will be tested Stop condemning one another. Instead of condemning one another, live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble. How could you cause them to stumble? They know you are judging them for eating something or honoring a day or doing something in a certain way that's not as important as the fact that Jesus is Lord of life and death. So sometimes we need to look at the thing that's bothering us and go, is this as important as the fact that Jesus owns life and death and I will stand before the throne of judgment one day? Is it that important? And most times we will go, no. So what will we do? Let it go. Let it go. Or that other great song from a movie. Let it die, let it die, let it shrivel up and die. We make issues out of stuff that shouldn't be issues. People are dying out there, going straight to hell. And we want to fight about what you eat and what days are important and what days are not important. Really? I'm preaching to myself. We need to stop it. He brings in then a very important rule. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is important. He is making a powerful statement, calling on the authority of Jesus Christ. This is not light. Paul will not do this if he's not completely serious. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. No food in and of itself is wrong to eat. Now, don't go crazy with that because they had not yet discovered processed food when he wrote this. So easy now. Those of you who want to go to Krispy Kreme after service. But he's making it very clear. Remember also, he's a Jew. He's a Jew. With who knows the 613 rules 
of what they need to live by and what he's not allowed to eat, what is clean, what is unclean, what has a hoof, what has a split hoof. He's got, he knows all that stuff. And he's saying, you can eat whatever. No food in and of itself is wrong to eat. Then another important word, but if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Once again, Jesus Christ, life and death, food. Paul is saying, really? Are you really going to fight about food? That's the modern translation. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ has died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. Then he goes into the kingdom. For the kingdom of God, listen to this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. What's the kingdom of God? Not what we eat and drink. But of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. The New King James says it this way. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, Paul continues, if you serve Christ with this attitude, in other words, an attitude of not letting my brother sin and fall because I prefer to do something a certain way, you will please God. And others will approve of you too. You will find favor with God and man. Joshua 1. If you serve Christ with this attitude, in other words, I serve Christ when I serve my brothers and sisters by loving them enough for where they are at so that I won't judge something small in their life compared to the greatness of Jesus Christ who is king over death and life. Is it sinking in? Then he literally tells them how this is against God's will and because it breaks down unity in the church. He says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. He confirms it by saying the next sentence, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. It's not that important. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You see how he slips in wine there suddenly. Paul, seriously, it was food and days and now you had to go and bring wine into this. Come on. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. For if you are not following your convictions, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. 
Can you see how he puts this all in perspective? He's speaking to the person who is on the journey. He's speaking to the person who's judging the one who's on the journey. And he's speaking to the whole church and saying, don't let this cause disharmony. And what he really is telling everyone here is to say, humble yourself. Humble yourself. What does that mean? Your convictions are not that important. Your beliefs about stuff that's not life or death or eternity is not that important. Look at your convictions, look at your beliefs, and measure it up against eternity. It'll probably pale in comparison. And then you take that and go, it's not that important. For me to love you, even though I don't agree with the fact that you don't eat meat, is more important than me being right. Did you know that being right is not a fruit of the Spirit? Did you know that? It's not there. Go and look. Love, joy, patience, patience, kind, patience, patience, kindness, self-control, and being right. No, it's not there. We don't win anyone over by being right. Also, if you've made a, if a belief, conviction, decision, or you are halfway there, you don't really, you're not all the way there, don't let it um, steal from you. Don't do something if you haven't been convicted completely to do it. That is what he's saying. I wanted to also read you Colossians 2 from verse 16, just quickly before we end. Because he goes further with the whole thing about days and food and festivals and all these things. Just once again, putting it into perspective. Because these are the things that can trip up Christians. Especially Christians from different walks of faith, different backgrounds, different convictions. This can really trip people up. So I wanted to add this in. It says in Colossians 2 from verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality. Sorry, I see it's two different translations. Just try and follow. Um, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Let me read what you guys are reading. Um, let no one cheat you out of your reward. You can go back. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, uh, intruding into those things which has not, has not, he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not look, holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grow with the increase that's from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why? As though living in this world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. He's saying, why do you follow these? These things indeed have the appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Is that it? Yeah. They provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. We need to take a moment today and just say, Lord, I will not let things like food and days and rituals be more important than your holiness 
your eternal plan and what you have for us. Let us stand together and let us reflect and respond to this word. I believe that the important thing that we hear here today is once again the message of love. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Amen? Because if we truly love someone, we won't go to try to convince them of our conviction first, especially if that conviction is not that important. Remember, when someone comes newly into the family of God, they come with their story, their background, their, their process that they've been through. Maybe they have never been in a church before. Maybe they were in a very traditional church and there was a lot of hurt that was caused there. Maybe they come from some kind of cult with some things were very important and others were completely shunned and they're still processing what to let go of and what to believe. We need to have grace. We need to have love. And remember that your opinion is not as important as someone's salvation journey. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.